Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. John chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, verse 17, verse 35, and verses 43 through 44. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. In verse 17, Then when Jesus came, he found that he was lain in the grave four days already. Verse 35, Jesus wept. In verses 43 and 44, and when he had thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. This is a passage of scripture, a profoundly impactful passage of the word of God that reminds us that in the one who became flesh and dwelt among us, the one in whom the disciples beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, in the one who was with God in the very beginning and was the same as God, in and through the second person of the Trinity, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God weeps with us. I preached about the God who weeps with us in part one of this message. Our presentation, our sharing of the truths of this text began last week as we wrestled with the paradox of the statement in the very first part of this passage where it says the one whom Jesus loved was sick. And we talked about how this is a paradox because it places two things that seem to be conflicting and contradictory in one place. And yet it is in the reality of the painful paradoxes of life that we discover in a very real and lasting way that God weeps with us. But in the second instance, the God who weeps with us, weeps with us in response to powerful praying. He weeps with us in response to powerful praying. Where is prayer and where is praying in our text? 
I believe it's implicit when we read verse 3. It says, therefore, his sisters sent unto him. As I was praying about sharing with you, I thought about some of the classic definitions of prayer that I've heard as I wrestle with the implications of verse 3. I remember Ralph Emerson said that prayer is contemplation of life from the highest perspective. Philip Brooks, who writes the hymn, Little Town of Bethlehem, who was a great preacher, who talked about how preaching is the communication of truth through personality. He said that prayer is a wish turned heavenward. David Buttrick, who taught preaching at Vanderbilt University, he said that prayer is conversation with the ideal companion. Blaise Pascal, who was a French physicist and who many believe is the father of the modern computer, Blaise Pascal said that prayer is a reminder of the dignity of my causality. And when he said that, he was saying that prayer is an acknowledgement that I did not get here by myself, that I'm depending on God in the dignity of my causality. I didn't make myself. When I pray, I'm acknowledging that I cannot make it by myself. I thought about those definitions, and, and yet they were not as profound as what I see in verse 3. Prayer is just sending. It's just, look at it in the verse. It says, the sisters sent unto him. And when I pray, I am sending to him. In fact, the word translated sent is the word from which we get the word apostle, apostello. It's almost as if the writer give a personal personification. When you pray somehow, prayer becomes a messenger. Prayer becomes a messenger that we send to God. We commission a messenger to take our complaints, to take our concerns, to take our burdens to the Lord when we pray. When we pray, we are sending a message. And these sisters prayed, and their praying was powerful. And as I thought about why it was, there are some reasons why in this text it was powerful, this sending of their concerns to the Lord, it was powerful because they knew he cared. Yes. Prayer is powerful because we know he cares. They know he cared, and the caring of the Lord is communicated in this passage through the verbs for love. One is agape, the other phileo, but these are strong words denoting and describing Jesus' concern for this family. Their prayer was powerful because they knew where he was. Jesus was some 26 miles away in a town called Bethabara across the Jordan. But they sent a message. And when you pray, you not only must know he cares, but you must know where he is. Do you know where he is today? I can tell you he sits high and he looks low. I thought about this early this morning and what ran through my mind was when Hezekiah prayed. When Isaiah comes in and tell him to set his house in order. Yes. 
But before we get to that passage, we have Hezekiah leading the nation and a great throng of Assyrians have come up before the city. The Israelites are out men. They, they are prohibitively the underdog. And the Bible says in 2 Kings that Hezekiah goes before the Lord. He takes the message that he got from the emissaries of the king of Assyria. And the Bible says he goes in and he stretches out before the Lord. And I love what Hezekiah said because when he prayed, it's obvious he knew where God was. Because he says, I'm praying to the Lord of heaven who dwells between the cherubim. These sisters knew where he was. They knew he cared. They knew he was able. I know that's right because when Jesus does show up, they said this, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In response to powerful praying, the Lord shows up. And what he offers us is his presence. Oh, I'm telling you, when you know he cares, when you know where he is, when you know he'll come when you call him, and when you know he's able, it makes for powerful praying. The famed preacher of the 5th century, John Chrysostom, he wrote this, and it's a wonderful quote. He was called by his peers the golden tongue. But he talked about the potency of prayer. The potency of prayer hath subdued the strength of fire, bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, appeased the elements, burst the chains of death, expanded the gauges of heaven, subdued evil instincts, assuaged diseases, repelled frauds, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. Prayer is an all-sufficient panoply, a treasure undiminished, a mind which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by storm. It is the root, the fountain, the mother of a thousand blessings. Prayer is powerful when you know he's able, when you know he cares, when you know he will come, and when you know where he is, God offers for us in response to powerful praying his presence. And as I've said already twice in this passage and its larger context, the sisters say, if you had been here, then our brother would not have died. I love that line in the song that the late Frank Williams sang in the Mississippi Mass Choir he says, he was there all the time. He was there all the time, waiting patiently in line. He was there all the time. He was there all the time, and he weeps with us in response to powerful praying. When you pray and God shows up, he may not move the problem, but he'll give you some strength. When we didn't think he was there, he was there all the time. God weeps with us, not only in the reality of painful paradox, but he weeps with us in response to powerful praying, but he also weeps with us in the recognition of paralyzing perspectives. So often our difficulty 
in handling suffering is we tend to look at our problems in the wrong way. Because when we are God's children, problems are really possibilities in disguise. With God, all things are possible. It's interesting how perspective become an issue in this passage because at the very outset, when Jesus gets the message, and don't think he needed the message to remind him of what Lazarus' condition was. The sisters had sent the message. It took a day for the message to arrive. It appears because when we get back to Bethany, when Jesus does get there, Lazarus had been dead four days. Which means if you do the deduction and the arithmetic, it means that on the same day that Jesus got the message, Lazarus died. But the Bible says when Jesus gets the message, he says Lazarus is sleeping. See, there's a whole different world between saying he's dead and he sleeps. Jesus had a way of calling death sleep. And the early church picks up on that because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that we shall not all sleep. In Thessalonians, he said we should not grieve for those who are asleep as those who have no hope. For if Jesus died and rose again, then those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. One of the things God does in the midst of our pain and suffering is that he allows us to hurt long enough to see things in a different perspective. When I say if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. I didn't learn that he answers prayer in Sunday school. I learned it in the midst of trying experience. Oh, I learned it conceptually and academically as I studied Sunday school lessons and read the Bible. But experientially, when you're down to your last dime, you have nowhere else to turn. And God shows up. And every time he shows up, he shows out and makes the way not just somehow, but anyhow. It changes my perspective. And so in recognition of paralyzing perspectives, God weeps with us. I love the poem. I asked God to give me strength, but God said I'd rather give you difficulties to make you strong. I asked God to give me courage. God said I'd rather give you danger to overcome. I asked God to give me prosperity, but God said I'd rather give you the fruits of your labor. I asked God to take away the pain. God said, I don't want to take it away. I want you to give it up. I asked God to give me favors. God said, rather, I give you chances. God has a way of showing up, weeping with us in the recognition of paralyzing perspectives. The shortest verse in this text in the Bible, Jesus wept. This verse alone is cause for us to evaluate the whole notion of perspective. Some read that and they assume that Jesus' weeping is just like that of Mary and Martha. But you have to think this thing out 
Because the Lord knew what he was going to do. So why cry for somebody who you know you're getting ready to bring back from the grave? Some say he was weeping because as he saw Mary and Martha bereaving their brother. But I'm telling you, that's rationale is on shaky ground. Perhaps he was weeping because he had entered into the realm of sickness and death. And as he faced these ancient foes, he was weeping because he knew what would be required in order to secure the victory over death and over the grave. But I heard, and this is where perspective changes the whole tenor of our outlook. He wasn't weeping because he was bereaved as Mary and Martha. He wasn't weeping because he'd entered the realm of death and sickness. He was weeping because he knew where Lazarus was. And he was upset and he cried because he knew he had to bring Lazarus back from the beauty and the grandeur and the majesty of paradise to this painful shore. And I hear Paul saying, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I like the notion that he was crying because Lazarus was having a good time, but he hated to break up the party, to bring Lazarus back after four days away from this veil of suffering and tears. You see, when I leave here, I don't want nobody asking me to come back because in my father's, in my father's house are many mansions. I believe death is just a passage to a much better place. There's some stuff we're struggling with right now. Some stuff we're struggling about right now that won't make sense until we get on the other side. And so he weeps with us in recognition of paralyzing perspectives. He weeps with us in the release of a powerful provision. In verse 25, Jesus says to Martha, and this is so important that he repeats these words to Mary. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall live. Jesus weeps with us in the release of a powerful provision. Resurrection is profound in its promise. He said, though he were dead, yet shall he live. If he'd added again to the passage, then the whole perspective would change. What Jesus is saying to Martha is, though he's dead, yet he's still alive. Because physical death does not sever our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. But to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's why Paul said, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So resurrection is profound in its promise. Because though you're dead, you're still alive. Then it's also particular in its possibility. It says, he that believeth. In other words, it's open as a possibility to anybody. 
If you have the faith, God has the power. I'm glad God allows us to have a particular response. I'm glad to hear somebody else's witness, but I'm glad I have my own testimony. This is my story. This is my song. He that believeth is a particular possibility, meaning anybody that takes hold of this truth can experience the release of a powerful provision. But resurrection is also present in its power. He said, I am. God didn't say I was. He didn't say I shall be. But when he said I am, he covered all the ground. I'm so glad today I serve the great I am. That's why it's important when Moses asked the Lord, when I go back to Egypt land, who should I tell sent me? Lord said, just tell him, I am sent you. He is my bridge over troubled water. He is my doctor and my lawyer. He's my midnight company keeper. He's my alpha and my omega. He's my lily of the valley. Yes, he is. And he's my bright and morning star. When mother and father forsake me, he takes me up. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. But that's not all he is. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. In the presence of his power, he said, I am. But finally, resurrection is personal in its provision. God weeps with us because he said, I, he said, I am. It's about him. For our painful paradox, he offers purpose. For our proudful praying, he offers presence. For our paralyzing perspectives, he offers promise. But for this powerful provision, he offers his person. He said, I, if anybody else said it, it wouldn't matter. If David said it, it wouldn't matter. If Abraham said it, it wouldn't matter. If Moses said it, it wouldn't matter. If Jeremiah said it, it wouldn't matter. If Micah said it, it wouldn't matter. But he said, I, I am. I'm so glad I know who he is. He said, I, I think about God in his word. And you know what his word is? Is a hymn book. The Bible is a hymn book. Not an H-Y-M-N, but a H-I-M book. It's a hymn book. And the reason I know he weeps with us uh, in the midst of our sadness uh, is because the Bible tells me uh, it's about him. I gotta call some witnesses. Uh, tell you it's about him. Uh, Oh, Aristotle, what is it about? Uh, he's an unmoved mover. Uh, Socrates, what is he about? Uh, he's the architect of the universe. Uh, Euripides, what is he about? Uh, he's powerful than anything I know. Uh, John of Damascus, what is he about? Uh, he's an infinite substance in a sea of life. Uh, Shakespeare, what is he about? Uh, he's the divinity that shapes my head and the tide in the affairs of men. Words with what is he about? Uh, he's about a presence that disturbed me with a joy of elevated thought. Uh, I sense sublime. Uh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God. 
It's about him. He says, I, I. He says, and if I be lifted up, if I be lifted up, I'll draw, I'll draw all men unto me. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org for more information about us and to obtain resources provided by T.D. Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.